Citizen Reporter number 469 for the 18th of April, 2014. Greetings and welcome to another edition of Citizen Reporter, the podcast dedicated to human stories from different corners of the world. I'm your host, Mark Fonseca Renderu. As we wind down the Dubai Taxi Project series, today we hear from Midu Taha, a professor of storytelling, a author, a creative mind, a curious observer of the world we live in. I sat down with Midu for several lunches during my days in Dubai, and our conversations always traveled in so many different directions. But today, we're focusing on storytelling, his life in Dubai, and how it influences how he tells stories and what he sees happening in the world of storytelling. Yes, we're talking shop. Here we go. Today, we're at the American University of Dubai, and I'm in the office of my friend Midu Taha. Hi, Midu. Hi, Mark. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good, and, and I'm enjoying these lunches that we do. I mean, I guess we've done three, um, uh, where we talk about all kinds of things, including like what you're doing here. Um, but let's start with you pre-Dubai and, and bring us to, to when, you, when you did come to Dubai. Wow, pre-Dubai. I mean, I've only been here two years, really, but it feels like such a long time ago, pre-Dubai. Okay, so um, let's do this in reverse. Right before Dubai, I was living in Beirut um, for a couple of years where I was free freelancing. Um, I was there to write my novel. And, uh, you know, while I was writing my novel, I was also doing research and I was spending a lot of time alone and being moody, you know, as a writer would. But at the same time, I needed to make some money. So I was basically a freelance videographer and I did a lot of, you know, Corporate videos, which are kind of the bane of every filmmaker's existence, I guess. Yeah. That was fun, but that had to end eventually because the novel, you know, I was done with that. And I had no godly reason to be in Lebanon, ha ha ha, which is my hometown, you know. It's kind of ironic to say that. Um, before that, um, I was living in Los Angeles, California, where I, where I, did a, um, where I was studying film at UCLA. Um, and, you know, when I was there, I felt that that was where I would spend the rest of my life. But then, you know, this novel that I just mentioned kept calling me back home and sort of like made me want to gyrate in this area. Gyrate, what a word. Yeah, yeah movement of some kind. Yes. The, the seed, I guess, of the novel started when I was living in Los Angeles. Um, you know, I was daydreaming, I guess, about going back home and what it would be like. And because I was... I don't know, I, I guess I sort of saw myself as an academic in the sense that I was going to school for the second time in my life, graduate school rather, for the second time. Um, I started imagining this character, this person who is an academic, strictly an academic, um, who um, is caught up in this whirlwind of uh, life in Lebanon because in Lebanon, at least at the time I was living there, everything was very, very, very politicized. Mm -hmm. And so um, that goes against, you know, the sort of like insulated lifestyle of an academic. And so the struggle between, you know, 
maintaining that lifestyle on the one hand, but at the same time eking any sort of meaningful existence in Lebanon, sort of like creates a tension between those two worlds. Um, so I, again, that sounds really academic, and again, that was the standpoint from which the novel started. Um, but so eventually I developed this story where this uh, college professor, a botanist, who spends his days, um, you know, nose to the ground, quite literally, um, witnesses a momentous event in Lebanon, a political assassination, and God knows we have lots of those, and, uh, and gets involved, you know, um, very, very directly in, in the investigation without anyone knowing, actually, behind the scenes. Um, so just that subject matter drew me back to Lebanon um, on the basis that I would do some research, and eventually um, two months of research turned into six, Mm -hmm. Six turned into eventually actually not just researching but writing the novel um, in situ, you know, uh, on site in Lebanon. But let me let me break something down that you said just a while ago, which is the very politicized. Just to make sure everybody understands what, what we're talking about, mm-hmm. you're talking about how whatever you do gets judged one way or another by your you're supporting one side or another. I mean, you're, everybody's being categorized a lot. Is that? How would you explain? Yeah, um, uh, you know, there are different people explain uh, Lebanon being politicized in different ways. Um, you know, some people call it sectarianism. Mm-hmm. Um, other people call it, you know, um, ideologies, mutually exclusive ideologies, um, sort of like being forced to co cohabit, you know, the same area, the same tiny area, actually. Um, the way I see it is that, you know, um, all of us, and I'm I'm loath to make you know broad generalizations, but as a human being, I kind of feel like I can speak for you know the human race by saying that all of us, I think, you know, want to live a decent life. You know, all of us want to you know eat, sleep, and you know do other things that human beings you know naturally would want to do. Um, but at the same time, how we go about that um, creates differences and creates tension because we don't always agree on the means; we just agree on the end. And so that's where politics comes in, comes in, because we associate with people who we believe resemble us. And then uh, that might be one person, it might be two, it might be five, it might be 20, it might be 1,000. And that's how the country sort of like, uh, you know, transforms from one sort of like seamless group of people into clusters of, uh, of, of groups, you know, political groups. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's basically what I believe being politicized is, you know, it's almost impossible to exist in Lebanon without having to think about uh, what group you belong to or what groups you are judged by on the basis of simply leading your life by waking up, shaving, showering, going to work, and, you know, having a water cooler conversation with somebody, you know, just the daily uh, routine of life. And, and how does all this eventually lead you to Dubai, actually? And I wonder how this um, place compares in terms of politis- you know, things being politicized or not and, and living, cohabitating with people who are actually quite diverse. Yeah. Um, actually, you know, Dubai for me, and uh, I, I, I risk coming off a little ignorant here, I guess, but uh, Dubai for me was kind of a chance of being an ostrich in the sense that I could just bury my head in the ground and not have to worry about all of that, you know, as you know, as a as an expat with, on uh, here in the country on uh, a contract, really uh, all that matters to me is my relationship with my employer. 
you know. And my relationship with my employer, you know, being uh, an academic institution is very, very regimented. I mean, the year is broken down into semesters. The semesters are broken down into weeks. The weeks are broken down into classes with syllabi. And so it's almost like being the, in, in, in the army, in the, in the least political sense of, <laughs> of, of that, you know. Um, and so I don't have to worry about politics. I really don't. You know, I barely, I barely read the newspaper. Well, I do read the newspaper. I read the cultural section. But, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not, I'm not at, in the least interested in politics in this country. Mm-hmm. And so that's great because that allows me the space to, you know, just breathe. Yeah. And, and in terms of writing, I mean, does this place change you at all? I mean, you knew what it was about. I mean, I guess anyone in this world these days has some idea, but especially if I could put you in the region, um, you, you knew what this place was about to some extent, but does it start to, to infiltrate or, or yeah, seep into your writing and your, and your ideas? Um, well, as I said, I've been here for two years, and for the first two years, so up until last week, I suppose, um, the answer to that question would be no. I mean, it did not seep into my writing, into my thinking, into my dreams, into my uh, um, um, hallucinations, you know, whatever, in any sort of way. Um, you know, being an ostrich, I guess, also, you know, what comes with the territory of that is that, you know, you don't, own, you don't see anything around you, you just see that little hole that you've buried your head into. And that little hole happens to be this class office that we sit in today. You know, and this uh, this this desktop that I keep staring at, you know, all day, and um, this you know the students within the context of the classroom, and that's it. Um, but you know, um, just by venturing out of my house on foot, which is uh, something that I never tried for the first two years I was here, I must admit, um, made that um, uh, made the city actually seep into into my thoughts once again. I guess it was filling kind of a void that. Was, was, you know, just yawning yeah. there and begging to be filled. And so, long with an answer, I suppose, but the answer to the question is that, yes, um, um, I'm developing a story right now that is set in Dubai, that is set in um, old Dubai, in Bur Dubai, which, uh, Mark, you, 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 you love. <laughs> um, and I'm starting to realize, you know, that... Um, the, again, you know, we started this conversation talking about politics. You know, there's, the, politics doesn't necessarily mean... Um, National politics, you know, personal politics, um, street politics, uh, family politics, of course, you know, and that's where the stories are and that's where the, where the fodder is. Yeah. And so for the maybe um, first time since wrapping my novel, since finishing my novel, I feel that I have stories once again to tell. Mm. By the way, what, what did happen to the the uh, first novel, which was about uh, the academic and, and... Oh, yeah. So um, the first novel, which is called A Road to Damascus, um, I signed a contract, and it's uh, it's it's going to be published uh, within the next two months. Uh, actually, the contract we, contract we signed about a year and a half ago okay. with a publishing company based in New York. Um, and uh, for anyone who's ever written a novel, you probably know what I'm talking about. For those of you who have never written novel, then, you know, I strongly advise you not to even attempt it. <laughs> because if you value your hair and you, <laughs> you know, you still have it. yeah, well, I still have it only because I had so much of it before. Um, yeah, it, it's a very lengthy process. Let's just leave it at that. Um, so it's, it's, it, it has been under editing, copy editing, well, story editing, and then eventually copy editing for the last eight months. And we're very, very close to now uh, getting it published. They're doing the final polishing.
here we are in an office at the American University of Dubai, and it just so happens that you teach, among other things, I mean, storytelling is one of your specialties. And, you know, I, sometimes I think I'm involved in storytelling, yeah. um, but I say sometimes because I look around right now in Europe, in America, there's so many events, workshops, shows, and they, they are touting storytelling, storytelling hour. Some of it is beautiful and creative and some of it I don't know. But I feel quite left in the dust, the guy who was telling stories, you know, long ago. Are we, are we in some kind of a storytelling renaissance? Is it hot suddenly? Do you feel it? Like, I mean, it says it on your little, you know, name tag on the, it's not little, but on the way in. <laughs> um, you know what, um, just, to, just to temper that a little bit, um, I, I don't necessarily think that we're in a storytelling renaissance. I think that we are in a talking about storytelling <laughs> renaissance in the sense that stories have never gone away, but our um, realization that stories are all, all, are all around us, our interest perhaps in the, in the act of storytelling maybe fell by the wayside uh, for a while there. Um, but now our, our, our attention is smack dab right back at, at storytelling because I think the form itself is evolving and it's changing um, because it's so resilient anyway. I mean, stories, storytelling is a means of survival. It's, it's, it's right there in our, in, our, in our genetic code. Um, so yes, I mean, if, if 144 characters <laughs> constitutes a story, and I know it's been done before, right? You know, just like um, little twit bites of stories. Uh, then sure, why not? You know, let's 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 put that under the umbrella of storytelling and let's analyze it and let's focus on it and let's do a class about it. Is what you know people are starting to 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 to, to say. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, I think that. Um, because I come from a film background, uh, I would say that um, the fact that now um, the medium of storytelling um, is so accessible to everybody um, allows storytelling to prolifer proliferate in, at such an alarmingly rapid rate, not only in the written form as it was, you know, or in the spoken form, verbal form as it was for thousands of years, but now also in the audiovisual form, as photographies, as, as, as webisodes, you know, as, as uh, lolcas, yeah, you know, uh, not that those are stories per se. tell a story about us. <laughs> about us, exactly. Um, so, so yes, so the tools of storytelling um, have evolved to such a degree that now, I guess, you know, storytelling is, is unavoidable. It's mm. just all around us, stories are. Hmm. Yeah, I think what I worry about is if it's genuine, you know, uh, especially the more popular stuff, the more stuff in bold print. Um, I'm not being cynical. I just hope it's genuine and not it's not just some kind of buzzword. And, and that's my concern. I wondered if you've been noticing that as well. Um, what, what, what do you mean by genuine, like the well, intent? When it becomes, when it becomes yeah, when, and, and the actual execution of the projects, you know, uh, everyone will say they're involved in storytelling. But are they? You know, <laughs> that's my... Mm, mm. <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, again, every when, if we're going to discuss storytelling academically, then we're always we're we're, we're always going to have to worry about uh, setting up walls because I think academia and uh, I'm I'm not sure that's what you meant, but but uh, but let me just say this that um, you know academia is all about um, build, uh, setting up boundaries. You know, even here at school, you know, there's the engineering department, there's the architecture department, there's the arts department, whatever, and 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 those are kind of like you know almost semi-autonomous. Institutions, and so if we're going to talk about what story, what is, what is storytelling, and what is not storytelling, then then of course we can always make distinctions there, and we can say that everything that falls outside that that fence is not quote unquote genuine. Um, the way we define it here, and by here I mean you know American University in Dubai where I teach, um, a story has a beginning, middle, and an end, and you know um, that might sound.
sound sim simple, it might even sound simplistic, but it is at least a point of departure because um, uh, because then it, it suggests a certain structure, it suggests a certain setup, complication and resolution that uh, your, your character, or maybe if it's an abstract story, just your world um, needs to go through uh, for it for it being uh, for what you're working on to be considered a story, mm -hmm. um, as opposed to anecdotes, as opposed to by the ways, as opposed to little side notes, you know, um, which perhaps do not. Um, fall under the you know general headline of story. Um, these days we have our favorite dramas, we have our favorite series. You know, all this. Anyone who's listening surely has their favorite program these days, and that's without television. You know, we get it in our own way. Um, we've talked about a few you and I, but out of curiosity, what what catches your eye, especially in the last year or two? Like, what are you watching and saying? There's something here. This show has something, or this director, if it's a director, but. Something in the last year or so. I mean, mine might have been Orange is the New Black. is, is, is an mm. interesting way to tell some stories. Um, I still look at Boardwalk Empire, mm. and I think, like, this is... Not only that, I, I watch a show like Boardwalk Empire, for those who don't know about this history of Atlantic City. I'm from New Jersey. Mm. There's a personal connection there. But I also look at it with, with a history in front of me on another screen, mm. and I'm comparing what Scorsese is doing. So I love to... You know, learn, but also I, f I fall for these characters, and I and I want to know what's going to happen to them. So in a way, like I love the historical connections that we're able to make with some shows. But I don't know. Is there anything that you've been? Um, yeah. Well, there's a lot. I mean, um, uh, I have I have a very 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 broad taste, and uh, I don't mean broad in the negative sense. I just mean simply like I'm a vacuum cleaner, basically. <laughs> bottom <laughs> whatever you throw in my way I'm gonna suck it up and chew on it a little bit and I might spit it out and I might keep it in but um, as far as I'm concerned I think what interest what has interested me I guess the most or significantly maybe over the last few months is uh, the storytelling phenomenon and since we're talking about storytelling mm -hmm. I call it that that's uh, come out of Saudi Arabia um, on on YouTube you know um, I think that great stories, um, always start with the word despite, you know, in spite of. And, you know, in spite of the strict, you know, uh, code of censorship that's there, in spite of the strict code that's placed on, well, I don't think they even have cinemas. I mean, that was a big sort of like thing that came out the last year because of this film, um, feature film Wajda that's been doing the rounds at film festivals. Um, What's the feature film called? Uh, Wajda, W-A-D-J-D-A. It was the first Saudi Arabian film made by a woman. At least that's sort of the buzz around it. And it did quite well, um, regionally and internationally um, it's been a crowd pleaser um, it was shortlisted it was not shortlisted for the Oscar I don't think but 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 when it wasn't you know there was a huge outcry you know yeah. um, anyway to come back to um, what I was talking about so exactly so this YouTube phenomenon that's um, in Saudi Arabia huge huge viewership we're talking in the hundreds of millions here um, short webisode uh, series, you know. Um, there's two major production companies that have been working on that have been working on these, um, and they have their own like you know different style. So you know, do you like Coke or do you like Pepsi? You know, so you know uh, each one is associated with a certain type of programming, but uh, but they've been really 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 successful, and they've both they're both grassroots. Um, uh, one's called Telfaz. 
But what are the stories about? Um, so the story is basically, um, you know, they, they, they span the spectrum, and they started as little sketches, but they've developed characters over the course of their runs. Uh, and they're, they're generally fish-out-of-water stories, you know, of a Saudi in, in the UK, let's say, you know, trying to hide the fact that he's, you know, at a bar drinking, maybe, mm-hmm. um, until he runs into a, another Saudi there who's also trying to hide the fact that he has a bar drinking. And they're, you know, they, 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 they both realize that they're Saudis, but they don't want to expose each other to that third person telling you the bar. So, you know, little stories like that, um, um, which are really, really short, obviously, you know, by sheer nature of the medium. Um, but again, you know, familiar situations, both to Saudis and to non-Saudis, you know, I mean, you're, I'm just, I'm just telling you this little story hand and you're, you're nodding, you know, so, yeah. so you're not Saudi, I'm not Saudi, and yet we recognize the situation, right? Um, so those kinds of stories that, you know, develop out of this despite, you know, in spite of condition they couldn't air on a on a saudi channel it wouldn't be they it would not it would definitely not be okay um and and that constraint actually shaped the medium and shaped the form of storytelling that they use on those uh webisodes so they're really really short they're not they're not anecdotes i would actually qualify them as stories because you know they follow characters um you know with with conflict and with protagonists and antagonists and you know and certain themes i guess that connect throughout um, so yeah, that's that's been pretty interesting, you know. And this is in some ways storytelling at, at some risk for the producers, no? I mean, you know, maybe not. I don't know. At, at the end of the day, um, not in my backyard. So as long as you, you know, your dog doesn't, uh, you know, poop in my backyard. If it poops somewhere else, that's fine. You know, I'm not gonna chase it with a stick, you know. Okay. So uh, what I'm trying to say, I guess, here in a very <laughs> roundabout way, is that you know, uh, censorship only goes too far as to censor. The, the, it's, it's, its own jurisdiction. And so if its jurisdiction is television, then as long as it's outside television, that's fine. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah, so, you know, um, so the, the first screen would be the movie theater, the second screen would be the TV, the third screen, I guess, is, is what? Your, your iPod or iPad or whatever. And, and actually that's becoming probably the, 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 the primary screen, you know? Right. So, you know, if, if I'm splitting my attention from, you know, uh, between my TV and my, and my iPhone, let's say, then actually my iPhone is getting the lion's share of my attention, right. you know? And so if, if the show is actually programmed and designed and shot in a way that, that, that is iPhone friendly, then that's going to suck up all that attention, you know, that lion's share, and it's actually going to even start to, you, start to, you know, uh, um, trespass onto the other quotient of attention that I've given something else. In other words, what I'm trying to say in a very simple way, I guess, would be that, you know, um, if, you, if you know that your show is destined for a very specific medium, then from the get-go, you know, from the writing, from even the idea, you can sort of like shape it in a way that maximizes the potential of that medium. Mm. You know, as opposed to, I think, the general trend, uh, which was, you know, uh, dominant maybe a couple of years ago, was like, oh, we shoot a film, and we shoot it in a way where we can crop it to... Um, you know, four by three, whatever, and then we can screen it on, on airplanes, and then, you know, it's also 16 by nine or widescreen, so it can also play in the theater, obviously, where it premieres, and then all those, like, screens in between. Now this, you know, uh, material is made primarily for tiny little um, yeah. screens. Yeah.
you have a lot of things going on uh, between the writing, the teaching, and you, you have a child on the way. Yeah. Um, how does it, I mean, when you look at it, the work-life balance, you were just telling me you'd like to uh, make it a ritual that you go to a park and write. Uh, I don't know if that's every day, but mm -hmm. ideally I'm sure it is. Um, is this a place where you can achieve that, that balance that you, I'm sure you seek uh, between life and work and, and, and not just that, but your creativity? Your, your, I'm sure you have a need in you to, to produce, you know, you've you got to get it out. Mm -hmm. Is this the place where you can do that when you, when you look ahead? Um, I, uh, Dubai, you mean? Yeah, is that yeah. uh, is Dubai a place where I can where I can do that? Well, um, I, I suppose so. I suppose so because uh, you know we're talking about a regimented lifestyle, and if if you if you uh, look down at Dubai or the UAE, even for that matter, from an airplane, then you'd find that it's very 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 sort of like. Um, it's it's a patchwork, really. So, you know, you've you've got Jumeirah and you've got uh, Media City and then you've got uh, JLT, whatever, and they're sort of like very very distinct, discrete areas. And so, I'm not being bombarded by things here at all. I can sort of like pick and choose a la carte, you know, how to structure my day. Mm -hmm. In other words, this is a city that is very very um, routine fr friendly. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, as 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 a writer, um, uh, you know, that's that's really what you need. I mean, routine is really your best friend because mm -hmm. you probably know that we get some of our best ideas, you know, brushing our teeth, mm -hmm. um, driving. Um, and in fact, I think, you know, um, most of the podcasts I've ever listened to were doing one of those two things, mm -hmm. you know. So I think routine is 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 your best friend as a as a. Uh, as a creative person, and and uh, and this is a city that allows that, mm. as opposed to some of my favorite cities in the world, like Beirut, yeah. um, where you know just by walking down the street, you've got twenty five things happening at the same time, not both routine. in your head and outside, and yeah. not routine in any way. No, yeah, yeah. Hmm. which can also be inspiring. Uh, Absolutely inspiring. Yes, you know, uh, I think um, you need to pick your battles, and I think. Um, you need, to, you need to decide what stage in your life you are, but also what stage within each project you're working on you are, you, you are right now. And I think uh, you know, my, both my life and the stuff that I'm working on right now really does need that routine. It, it, it actually would benefit more from um, lack of um, surprise than it would from constant surprise. You know? yeah. it, it would benefit from... But banality, you know? Yeah. I love banality. I think banality is, is, is so underrated. <laughs> well, you're going to have a child, so you never know. <laughs> Every day might be different, but yeah. Everything else, yeah, you're on the right track. Yeah, you know, it, exactly. It's, you know, it's kind of like making a very, very mild sauce and then throwing in some Tabasco. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, Midutaha, it's like a pleasure. I, I tweeted this, and I'll say it to you in person and with the mic. If I could, I'd come have lunch with you as often as possible if I lived in Dubai. Uh, but I will take conversations whenever we can get them. <laughs> oh, if you could, you should, definitely. You're more than welcome. It's such a pleasure talking to you, Mark. Cool. Thank you. You've been listening to Citizen Reporter, and that was Dr. Professor, Storyteller, Noble Gentleman Midu Taha, in Dubai, one of our last interviews in this series. As we bring another program to a close, just some final notes. First of all, 
this is part of the Dubai Taxi Project. The podcast is Citizen Reporter. So if you go to citizenreporter.org, you can read the stories that perhaps you haven't read yet from Dubai and from so many other adventures. You can also listen to the other podcasts that are part of this series. And if you subscribe, you can hear the programs that are to come. Yes, with the close of the Dubai Taxi Project, we will get back to podcasting stories from around the world that you don't get to hear in the mainstream because sometimes they're conversations sometimes they're not sexy enough for the mainstream here we don't do sexy necessarily we do human although human can be sexy oh well regardless if you like what you hear do go to citizen reporter do click on donate because this is an independent initiative crowdfunded and that means your support is what makes this possible thanks so much for listening i'll catch you real soon i'm mark fonseca renderu see ya Music for today's podcast is courtesy of Tom Brousseau, Imogen Heap, The Me and You, and Mr. Scott Metzger. Music